morning and welcome to the Crime Wire podcast on the Inside Lens Network with programming dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved homicides, suspicious deaths, and other topics of interest to our audience. My name is Denny Griffin and my co-host is Delilah Jones of Imagine Publicity. Hi, Delilah. Hey, Denny. Here we go again. <laughs> hey, you know, yes, I want everybody to realize that the Inside Lens Network of Podcasts has been around since 2004 and with over 750 episodes. So, you know, starting out with you, Denny, as host, as an author interview show, we've kind of come full circle for authors with with you hosting um, some author interviews along with my personal podcast, Imagine Publicity on Air. However, that's not all we have to offer. You know, there's shows that cover so many other topics available. You have shows with writing tips, mobsters, victim advocacy, and of course, you know, Crime Wire, which has had a long successful history. So hopefully listeners will find something interesting in all of that. I'm sure they will. Uh, before we get into uh, today's guest, I just wanted to ask you, Delilah, on the uh, on the Crime Warrior episodes, uh, so the listeners know they they can they can download them from the archives. They can uh, just play them back or whatever they want to do. So uh, there's a lot of good programming there, as you said. And I'm sure that anybody, uh, most anybody could find something of interest to them. So I encourage them to check it out. Absolutely. And, and you know, not only is uh, is the program on Blog Talk Radio, but also Apple Podcasts and, you know, wherever. Uh, just search for Inside Lens Network. All the shows will come up and, and go to town. Okay, and today we're excited to be joined by best-selling author and host of the popular Crime Beat show, Ron Chepsik, to discuss his new book, The Real Mr. Big. It is the story of how an ambitious Colombian immigrant set up a sophisticated drug trafficking enterprise that earned him law enforcement's description as the Pablo Escobar of British drug trafficking. That man is Jesus Ruiz Hayano the book's co-author. Ron, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Danny, for inviting me uh, to be on the show. It's a great uh, great pleasure. Uh, before we get into your book, Ron, I just wanted to, to talk a little bit about Crime Beat. Uh, would you tell us, uh, tell the audience about Crime Beat and uh, how they can find it and how they can listen to it? Well, you should talk about that. You've been on enough, enough time. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm just joking, but uh, yeah, we're we're, we're crying. We've been on the air since uh, 2011, January 28th, and we've had over 500 shows, uh, everybody from uh, Henry Hill to John Kennedy Jr. And um, you can find us on the Artist First radio network as artistfirst.com, and uh, you can look up the Crime Beat section. We're on every Thursday at 8 p.m., uh, Eastern uh, every every Thursday we haven't missed a show since 2011, and uh, we've had some great guests, including your uh, your host here, Danny Griffin. Yes, and it's uh, I got to tell you, every night I don't know, four, three, four, five times, whatever, and it's uh, it's always a pleasure. Uh, Ron uh, does an excellent uh, interview, 
and and it's it's a fun show so i, I encourage anybody if uh, you have an interest in in true crime which i assume you do uh to check to check out the the crime beat show right i should uh, add that the, the shows are archived like like your shows uh they're archived within 24 hours uh, after the, the live show so they're up there forever at the website uh at the crime beat section of the artist first radio network so you can uh, listen at your leisure uh, to the shows uh, Ron, I, I know that you've been into a, a lot of different things, you know, your, your writing and the, the crime beat, and uh, I believe you were considering uh, or are going to, I, I think, or I hope, get into some screenplay writing. Um, and what? how did you happen to get involved with this current book, The Real Mr. Big? How, how did that come about? Well, it's, it's really interesting. Um, uh <laughs> sort of landed in my lap uh, in, in uh, May of 2017. I woke up uh, early in the morning and I got an e- email and it was from uh, uh, the United Kingdom and it was from uh, a woman and uh, she said that uh, her father was getting um, out of prison soon and, he, wa- and she wanted, he wanted to know if I'd be interested in collaborating on his life story. And uh, she sent some links and she said his name, uh, Jesus Ruiz uh, Henao, and uh, I didn't know much. I didn't know anything about this guy, you know, and uh, I didn't know at, at all. And uh, I said, well, who's this guy? And I checked out these links, and they were um, uh, really, really uh, amazing. Uh, uh, the, um, uh, you described how uh, British intelligence described him as a Pablo Escobar of, uh, of British trafficking. He was supposed to be the first billion-pound cocaine uh, dealer in, uh, in British history. Uh, another article, one of the articles that I read said that uh, after he was arrested, the price of uh, cocaine in, in uh, the United Kingdom uh, shot up 50%, <laughs> which goes to show you his, his, his impact on, on the market. So I got really interested, and I said, uh, I'd love to talk to your father. And she said, well, he's in prison. And uh, he was serving uh, 18 years uh, for his, his uh, uh, crime when they caught him. And so he said, she said that uh, he will call you from prison. I gave her my number. He called, and uh, we talked, and uh, we had a good conversation. And uh, uh, I said, uh, I'd be interested in, in working with you. And he said, yes, once we get out of prison, uh, we'll have plenty of time. And I said, okay. And then he got caught up in some legal stuff, and it went on and on. And um, uh, uh, nothing happened. And uh, and then uh, uh, you know I, th- I was giving up on the project. And then in October uh, 2019, he got out October 10th, and uh, he was and he was deported from England back to uh, the United Kingdom. His daughter contacted me and said that uh, he will be getting in touch with me when um, uh, when he got settled, because he's been he'd been in prison 18 years. It took a little you know a little time to get readjusted. And so uh, I waited, and then um, I got he communicated with me, and uh, we talked on the phone, we, and we agreed to uh, that I would come to Bogota, uh, Colombia, and I'd fly him up from um, Armenia, where he was living, in Trujillo, and uh, uh, he, we would sit down for for a week, and uh, I listened to a story, and gather the information, and go back, and, uh, and so I went there in January. Of of, uh, of last year, and this was really interesting. It was just when the COVID thing was starting. In fact, the first case in Washington, if you remember, had just been reported, and uh, 
So it was a pretty normal uh, situation. And uh, I went there and I, I talked to him. I had a good, good 30, 35 hours of interview time. And then um, um, I went back to, uh, to uh, home. But by then, the COVID thing really broke. And um, it shut everything down, including publishing. And I did a, a book uh, proposal. And I sent it out uh, through my agent, and uh, we weren't getting a weren't getting um, uh, a nibble. Uh, everybody was like uh, uh, petrified of what, what this virus was going to do, and uh, they weren't buying, they weren't reading, they weren't doing anything. So it was kind of dejected. But we kept trying, and then um, I, I sent it to Wild Blue Press, and they were still active. Um, they're amazing press, and um, they uh, were really interested. Within a couple of days, I signed a contract. And then um, I collaborated with uh, Jesus. We uh, 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 talked on the phone. Uh, he would write out stuff for me, and I would edit it, ask him questions, uh, fill out. And uh, it may sound like a difficult uh, chore, but it wasn't. It was really, uh, it really went smoothly, uh, really incredibly smoothly. And uh, it took took me um, four months to finish it, which was pretty amazing. It's like 65,000 words, and it took altogether six a little over six months to publish which uh you know was really great and so it came out uh last last week in uh april 20th and um uh it's been really uh, um um amazing it reached number one on the uh, uh amazon site for refugees and for criminal evidence uh both number one um yesterday i got a uh, email from a british production company in um, in England, and they said they wanted to talk to me about the book, and uh, they're, they're they're reading it and they and they really loved it, and so I'm going to set up a meeting for them. And uh, when I started the book, I had a, a, a query from this really big production company in England. They found out that I was doing this book. I don't know how they found out because there was absolutely no publicity on that, but they got it still, and so it's looking really good. I mean, for me, uh, in terms of um, the future of the, of the project. Well, that's that's uh, certainly you couldn't ask for a better kickoff or, or better getting out yeah. of the gate exactly. than uh, than you have. Uh, yeah. that, that's 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 awesome. Um, and Wild Blue Press, thank God for them, because like you say, they yeah. they are a very good press, and they were still operating when other people were basically shut down. Right. Exactly. And uh, they 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 jumped on it. And um, uh, they've done a really good job. I mean, with uh, the with doing the publicity and everything, and I'm really confident that we'll do well with the uh, with the book, especially if it, if it gets picked up and uh, being developed for a TV series. Um, it, it could really, uh, really, really take off. You know, uh, listening to to what you have in the oven here uh, and the prospects. Uh, it reminds me that that a lot of uh, authors, including me, um, s- struggle or you know toil for years and years, always looking for that one big, the home run, the home run hit, and you're getting singles and uh, you know infield uh, infield hits and so forth, and you, you want to get that big one. And uh, it, it sounds to me anyway like uh, this could be one of those home run balls. Yeah. Uh, uh, the thing about uh, choosing projects, you know, I'm a writer like you, and, and uh, uh, I've uh, decided I'm not going to choose a project unless it has some potential. 
because uh, the market for adapted material from books in Hollywood now is, is enormous. It's just incredibly enormous, you know, and um, they're always looking for, for interesting projects. So, so every project now that, I, that I'm considering, I've I got, I got a really another great project uh, I'm working on, getting a contract signed on that. I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, at the potential. And I'm also a screenwriter, too. I'm also looking for the um, possibility of doing a screenplay based on the book, not, not just doing the book, but also doing a screenplay on that. So it's a pretty exciting time um, for me. And I just had one of my books optioned, uh, Sergeant Smack, which is optioned by, uh, by a, a, a production company, and they're, they're going to turn it into a TV series. So um, it's looking pretty good right now. Well, my, my hat's off to you, Ron, and congratulations. Uh, well, thank you. You're a great guy, it. great writer, and uh, you deserve, you deserve uh, the reward. So I'm, I'm very happy for you. Thank you. Um, getting back to working with, with Jesus, you know, a, a lot of people, I, uh, I'm, I'm glad you talked about what was involved with the interview time and, uh, yeah. you know, the recordings and the back yeah. and forth and the editing and all that. Um, I, I, people who aren't, uh, who have never written a book or uh, written this type of book with a, where you're telling someone's story, um, I don't think uh, they appreciate the amount of work that has to go into it if you want to do it right. I mean, you, you know, you, you don't want to just throw something together and uh, and hope it comes out okay. So exactly. if you do research and so forth, it's, it's can, it can be time. It can also be fun if, if you're working right. with a good person. You know, I mean, somebody that exactly. gets back to you and responds and, and helps out and contributes. And it sounds like with Jesus, you had that. Yeah, well, you should know about it. You've done enough books. You've done more books than I have, so you're you're real pro at this sort of thing. But uh, but yeah, I um, I, I um, uh, didn't. I was a little worried because I didn't. You know, he was. In, the story takes place in England. There wasn't a trial, and you know the importance of that, right? If you have a trial, you have a record, right? And so there was no trial. He played. He pled out. So there was no record of of, uh, of his story on that, and. Um, uh, there was stuff in the British press, but it all in, in the press, but it all said the same thing. You know, it sort of talked about him being an immigrant, coming to the UK, developing this incredible network, and then getting caught and all that sort of stuff. So, so I had a, you know, I I was kind of nervous about doing that, but his memory was good, and uh, the historical context was important. I, I did a lot of historical stuff, and my background is in the Colombian drug trade. You know, uh, I'm considered an expert on that. I've done three or four books. So I knew what to include as sort of background, and uh, it worked out. I mean, it, it, uh, it really worked out, and I made it really a personal story, telling it um, uh, uh, largely from his own um, eyes. And I, had, um, I interviewed four um, British um, law enforcement officials that, that uh, investigated him, and uh, that made it for an interesting chapter, too. But uh, before you knew it, I, I had my story together, and uh, it was ready to, ready to go uh, to the publisher. So all that background you had in the Colombian uh, drug trade and so forth really uh, bore fruit for you in this project, right? It was uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you know like what we, we right? We would, we would talk about uh, uh, the Medellin cartel, which was uh, Escobar's or uh, that, and I would include background information on that and. Uh, 
and in individuals that, that were mentioned, um, uh, I would include information on that. But it worked out really, it worked out really well. And uh, uh, someone said it, re- it reads like fiction, which which it isn't, of course, it's nonfiction. But uh, I'm glad that uh, it reads that way because it means I accomplished my mission. Did Did you uh, find with uh, now? I'm assuming Jesus uh, spoke English, obviously, uh, well, well enough that you could uh, work with him and so yeah. on. But dealing with the the United Kingdom, uh, sometimes uh, words or phrases or things that they might use there aren't necessarily what what I would use in the states. Did you run into yeah. any things that had to be clarified where maybe words could have Different meanings, or well, something could be different. Remember, I'm um, I'm bilingual in the English language. I'm Canadian, and I grew up under the British system. You know, like program. You know, two M's and an E. Tomato. You know, with an E and all that sort of stuff. Center uh, with an R E versus center versus E R. So I, you know, I was familiar with that, and um, it, it was for an American. Um, uh, publisher, and the book is going to be um, primarily sold in the U.S., although I think it's going to do really good in Britain once, once uh, people realize, realize the, book is, the book is out on that. But I didn't have any, any problem with that. You know, I was able to convert stuff um, uh, to, to uh, American English. Well, that's, a, that's a, again, amazing how, how all your prior experiences and so forth came back to uh, to help you out and, and get you through all this stuff without any major issues. You know, a beginner <laughs> could could have had some problems with some of this stuff, problems that you didn't have. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't have it. I didn't really have any problems with, with that. And uh, uh, like I said, I, I, you know, I come from the British system that's uh, the Canadian system, which is which is based on the British system. And uh, the language too, you know, takes after the British, so it was really, really okay. Delilah, do you have any questions or comments at this point? Of course, I do. <laughs> I thought it was quite <laughs> interesting part of your book um, describing, you know, where Jesus grew up, what his life was like, you know, when Pablo Escobar was very famous, and and you know, all over Colombia during the times of the Medellin cartel. What was it like for him growing up in that era? And what were his experiences around the cocaine uh, phenomena that just kind of punched out of there? Well, you know, he was born in uh, the Armenian section, uh, Trujillo. um, And um, he grew up uh, among... uh, the coca plant. I mean, it was a very uh, um, coca-growing uh, area, which is the plant that the, the cocaine is processed from, on that sort of stuff. He grew up poor, and he saw a lot of um, people making a lot of money from from uh, from cocaine. And uh, uh, he made, he decided at a very early age that he was going to be rich someday, and that uh, uh, the way he saw it was through um, cocaine uh, uh, trafficking, and he came from a large family. Uh, his father um, sold cocaine, um, and um, um, he, he was uh, involved with cocaine practically his whole life. 
I mean, from a very early age, you know, he was uh, he was hustling, and uh, he was selling small amounts of of cocaine, and uh, it was just a part of his uh, part of his life. Did he did he ever have contact or uh, work for or anything like that with Pablo Escobar? No, um, he met he met Escobar once, and Escobar gave him a bike. <laughs> Uh, and he was he was known for like being generous, um, uh, Escobar, and he gave him a, a bike, which really uh, thrilled him. But um, he had mixed feelings about uh, Escobar when he was young. He didn't realize that he was a drug trafficker because Escobar did a good job of masking it, um, and um, uh, he thought that uh, Escobar was 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 much too violent, and that he would never adapt his his approach to the drug trade. Um, uh, uh, Jesus was um, uh, diplomatic. He was a negotiator. You know, he rather than try to kill you, he tried to talk you out of something. On that, and Escobar was the complete opposite. You know, if he had a disagreement with you, you know, your history, he tried to get try to get rid of you. And um, he realized that Escobar was very high profile. You know, he loved the, he loved the limelight, and he made a decision uh, at early age too that uh, he would he would keep a low profile. That uh, that nobody would know uh, what he was doing, and that uh, all he would be uh, interested in would be collecting the money uh, from the drug trade, and uh, he did this for for his whole career. Um, you know, in England, um, nobody knew who Mr. Who the real Mr. Big was. They knew he was a Colombian, but they didn't know that he was Jesus, who was living in a middle class neighborhood, Herndon, in in England, uh, very quietly. Um, you know, with a wife and uh, a couple of kids, and uh, selling or trafficking in uh, in cocaine uh, quietly, and um, and getting away with it because he kept a low profile. He, st- he stayed out of the, he stayed out of the, out of the publicity, and uh, all he was interested in was was uh, was making the money. Well, why did he choose to go to the United Kingdom as opposed to, like everyone else, it seems, was trafficking directly into the U.S.? Well, he was dealing uh, um, on, with small amounts. He was mailing stuff through the um, the mail to England. Um, what happened was he, he hooked up with these two um, two young young guys, and one of them had a connection to Sicily. And uh, he, he went on their behalf uh, to Sicily, and he talked with them. They, they, uh, um, they told him about England. He went to England, and uh, he made contact there. And he went back to Colombia, and they set up a small operation. But this was a, a very violent time. This was like the uh, early 80s, and uh, there were uh, contract killers running around called Sicarios, who were very violent young, violent, and they made their money from killing people. And uh, he got involved uh, with them after a plane uh, that was carrying a load of cocaine uh, took off and exploded in the sky. And uh, he never did find out what happened to it, but he believes it was sabotage on that. But he ended up owing a lot of money uh, to one of the Sicarios, and uh, they made him work off his debt. And... uh, he would go on them, uh, go out and be sort of a negotiator for them, and uh, they would want to kill people, and he would op- he would oppose them, and uh, he would talk them out of it. Uh, 
but they got really uh, angry with them uh, after a while uh, with this sort of stuff, and they they decided that um, that Jesus was a was a liability, and they were going to kill him. And uh, he found out about that. This was in about 1985, and uh, he he was told that he should leave Colombia for his own good, or he'd be dead. And so that's when he decided uh, to go to to England. And he uh, he left uh, with his family about 1985, um, and um, uh, wasn't really going to get into uh, into cocaine. He he worked a number of jobs, you know. He worked a, he worked in a cleaning um, for a cleaning company. He re- he worked in a restaurant, and uh, he drove a bus. And then, but he saw the potential for cocaine, and uh, slowly but surely he gravitated uh, to it. And then he left the legitimate world and became a full-time gangster. Well, and don't you think it also helped that he kind of had a no-violence policy, didn't even carry a gun most of the time? Yeah, and, uh, you know, it shows that you could actually be a nice guy and be a gangster at that level. I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, he, he operated like a businessman. He viewed the, uh, the, the, the cocaine business as a, as, as a business, uh, and uh, he operated um, accordingly. You know, he would, uh, when he hired somebody, uh, he would vet them, you know, just like a regular company. He would, uh, he would check them out. Uh, uh, they didn't produce a resume, but he would find out all he could about them and then check out their story to see if they were lying. Um, you know, they say that uh, the drug trade is very cutthroat, cut but he operated on trust. Um, he, would, he would actually um, give cocaine and uh, get paid later. And he, he told me that he never got screwed on that. He never got screwed by anybody. They always paid on that sort of thing. But he developed a reputation, you know, for trust, um, for honesty. But he was also known as tough, too. And uh, he never killed anybody. But he came close. Uh, but people realized that uh, that he meant business, um, and so they didn't they didn't really uh, really mess with him. But uh, uh, he built this really efficient um, operation, and um, uh, it you know it worked, and uh, he was able to to operate this uh, this organization for almost twenty years. Well, at the you know at the height of his career, um, how big was his organization? I understand it was pretty big. And uh, did he did he was he connected he, uh, with some of the other cartels, or uh, was he just kind of out there on his own? Yeah, well, he operated uh, essentially uh, the modern history of Colombia. There's been three three cartels: the Medellin cartel, which is the one with Escobar. The Cali cartel, which I've written extensively about, that's with the um, uh, uh, Rodriguez Orwella brothers, and then you had the the, the North uh, Norte Valley uh, cartel, and um, that was the area from the area where he grew up, and um, uh, the first two cartels dominated the history of the Colombian drug trade until the mid 1990s, and then after they were taken down, uh, the Norte Valley cartel. Uh, became prominent, but he operated uh, with them, and uh, uh, he um, would work would, would uh, 
work out a system with them, and um, um, it was very efficient, and it worked. How many how many people did he have under him? Well, in, in the in, in the United Kingdom, he told me that he has uh, about eighty to hundred, uh, but in in Colombia, there were close to maybe twenty thousand people working for him in dealing with the money laundering. Um, he was able to ship back um, money to uh, uh, to Colombia in lorries, uh, the mail, etc., and. Uh, you could send up to 500 pounds uh, without any kind of paperwork on that. So he'd have, and he's making millions now, right? But he's sending the money back in shipments of, um, of uh, 500 pounds. So he would have somebody on the other end receive it. He'd pay him a small amount, and then they would, uh, you know, go to their bank and convert it, and um, and, and 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 give it to the um, the drug traffickers on the other end that uh, that uh, Jesus was working with. It's pretty amazing that he was able to, you know, do this for as long as he did with, without well, any when you think problems. It, when you think of it, I mean, you're dealing with uh, he's in uh, he's in England and and uh, the the products in Colombia, right? And in the middle is law enforcement trying to stop this thing, right? And it's not directly to uh, to the United Kingdom. Most of the cocaine was shipped to Spain. And so from Spain, uh, they were delivered in small boats uh, onto the mainland, and they were picked up by lorries, uh, by cars, um, and uh, individuals, and then shipped to uh, to the United Kingdom. And so it was really amazing uh, that this uh, thing operated, but it did. And for quite some time. And did he yeah. just kind of... Get caught, go to prison, or did he get out of the trade and and then get caught? How did that's, how did that all point. come about? Well, you know, like he's a very very smart guy, and he realized that that um, that he couldn't keep this uh, good thing going forever, and so he decided in the early 2000s that he was going to get out of the drug trade, and it sort of ticked off a lot of people in Colombia that were depending on him and they didn't want him to get out, but he made his mind up that he was going to get out because he, he realized that, that uh, law enforcement was going to catch up with him. They, they always do. You know, they, they start off slowly because they're behind the curve and the good guy and the bad guys have the advantage. But, but uh, once law enforcement catches up to speed, um, then, you know, the whole thing reverses itself and uh, eventually uh, the bad guys get caught so he actually got out, and uh, and he was out um, for like six months before he was arrested. But the police had been conducting an investigation on him for like four years, and I talked to four of the um, uh, uh, law enforcement officials that were involved with the investigation. And um, slowly but surely, they built a case against him. They had like 250 law enforcement officials working on Jesus, and so you can imagine the money that was involved in trying to bring him down. And uh, a, a variety of things, you know, happened. Uh, there was um, uh, a couple of people that, uh, that became snitches and uh, were taken down and in return for um, a lenient sentence uh, agreed to testify against uh, Jesus. And so they built this case about, uh, 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 around uh, on him. And... Um, uh, in November 2003, they they raided his house 
and arrested him and, and brought him in. Mm. Denny, I'll turn it back to you. Do you have some more questions for Ron? Well, you've covered a lot of them, and i got to say that listening, uh, I'm just fascinated, and I think, uh, as you already amazed, that an operation this size uh, could go on for as long as it did with with the money involved, uh, you know, tremendous amounts of money and so forth, and and that Jesus had the, the talent, the organizational skills and the, the people skills to be able to fly under the radar all this time with all these various police agencies, uh, drug task forces in different countries and all this who uh, who share information, I believe, and and cooperate in the drug war. Um, for him to have done that is, is just an amazing thing to me. It, it's, uh, you know, it's tough to wrap my head around it because with the snitches and with the intelligence operations by the police and so forth, uh, it's just an incredible story, uh, incredible thing, in my opinion, that, that he was able to do this and pull this off for for all those years. And, uh, well, and, and do that and still be and, and be one of the biggest uh, uh, drug traffickers in British history. I mean, uh, when, when they were busted, uh, there was close to 40 people that were convicted and they for up to up to 350 years of sentencing on that which is quite amazing i mean the organization was just incredible and to operate so like you say so so long without uh, any knowledge of it um uh was was truly amazing but like i say you know it's only a matter of time and and law enforcement will catch up i mean uh they look like they're, they're they're clumsy and they're slow, and in the beginning they are because they're feeling their way around. But once they get their act together, law enforcement, and they get the the 250 guys together, and they're investigating every aspect of of, uh, of a gangster's life, uh, it's not it's not too long before the tables are reversed and um, the the, uh, the bad guys are on their way to uh, uh, arrest, conviction, and jail. And I, I suppose in the in the end, you know, even though uh, Jesus had gotten out of the business and uh, had turned things around, but they they went after him anyway. And uh, I, I think it uh, goes to illustrate that in the life of crime, very few of the of the people involved, the the criminals, organized crime figures, and so forth ever just ride off into the sunset completely unscathed. I mean, at some point, it seems they all either end up in jail or get whacked or uh, or what have you. Yeah. But, but the, the number of, of success stories, if you want to call them that, or success stories, where these, where these mob figures, especially the upper echelon, uh, you know, just never spend a day in jail and all that stuff. I, I don't know. Exactly. I could probably count, count them on one hand easily. Right, right. Uh, I mean, I, I've, done, I've written uh, s- several books on drug, and the only one that I could think of, or the only one that may have escaped uh, with, with his money and his freedom is Frank Matthews, you know, who uh, allegedly uh, disappeared in 1973, never been found again, but I think he died when he was a very young age. Yeah, Jesus realized that, you know, he's, he's, a, brilliant, he's a brilliant man, he's very brilliant, um, and he realized that, and he, he kept saying to himself, um, well, I'll make a certain amount of money, 
and then I will quit. He make that certain amount of money, and he say, "Well, I think I'll go to this this amount," and he'd go to that amount and he'd make it. And it shows you how difficult it is to get out of the criminal activity. You know, you're attracted by the money, you're attracted by the woman that come with it, right? And and the, and the whole lifestyle, and uh, you begin to delude yourself. You, you begin to think that it's going to last forever, and. Um, um, you know, if he would have probably got out of it maybe five years earlier, he might have gotten away with it. You know, he might have gotten away with it. He wouldn't have had this, the people getting busted that became snitches, and he wouldn't have had the, um, uh, the tremendous amount of time law enforcement put in on his case, you know, building the evidence against him on that sort of stuff. And the other piece that fascinates me as well is that he did this without the violence, you know, the violence that you associate with drug cartels and so forth. And again, talk about people skills to be able to run an enterprise as big as he ran uh, without having to, uh, you know, resort to violence or have a violence be the the SOP, the standard operating procedure, uh, that he could keep people in line based on trust and confidence and all that kind of stuff, confidence in each other and trust in each other. Uh, uh, again, that's just awesome. Uh, it's yeah. really well, an incredible thing. Yeah. He, he says that uh, that he was in England, and, of course, the gun laws are, are much more uh, strict there than Colombia. Colombia was like the Wild West back back in the 80s. And uh, uh, so he, he felt that he never had to, to carry a gun in um in England because he was such a low profile, but he told me that uh, that he would have probably had to carry a gun, and he probably would have had to use it if he would have stayed in Colombia, because it was so violent and so cutthroat that uh, eventually he would have been in a situation where he would have to use a gun against somebody, and uh, and he was shot and wounded, um, and, and near the the point where I, I mentioned that he was he left for uh, for England. In, in the mid 1980s, on that sort of stuff, and uh, that was another reason why uh, he left uh, England too. He didn't want to get involved with the with the incredible violence that uh, that uh, pervaded uh, Colombia at the time. Yeah, it sounds like England was uh, really a godsend for him. That move to England, because, like you say, the uh, the gun laws, he was able to keep the lower profile. He was able to operate. Yeah. The way he wanted to operate without the violence and, and all the threats of violence. Yeah, had he not done that, there's probably a good chance he'd have been killed in Colombia or, like you said, hey, yeah. had to have killed someone else, you know, had killed other people. Yeah, like like many of the people that he knew, including members of his family, were, were murdered. His brother was murdered, um, um, and uh, they, don't, they don't know why why he was murdered, but he was gunned down in the street. Um People that were after him, there was a, there was a Sicario, the one Sicario that was going to kill him, uh, and the reason why he left was eventually eventually um, arrested and convicted. He went to prison, got in an argument uh, with a guerrilla, and um, uh, uh, was was murdered in prison on that sort of stuff. And uh, a lot of the uh, the, uh, the drug traffickers that that uh, he worked with in Colombia. Uh, were murdered or ended up in prison. So, you know, it's just uh, an incredible situation. 
Did Jesus ever tell you or uh, what his one, if he had one major regret about all this stuff, what it would be, oh, such, yeah. such as maybe should have gotten out sooner or whatever? He's a very, he's a very big family man. And um, his daughter, when he started getting involved, was, was born and she was young. And um, uh, he spent a lot of his time, you know, uh, with his family back then. But then he went to jail. And he missed 18 years of his life. He said the best years of his of his kid's life. He has a son and a daughter. And he said that's his biggest regret, is not being able to spend more time with his family. And he, reali- he realizes now, and he's about 61 now, 61 years old, that um, that, uh, that that's what matters in life, you know, is family. It's not money. It's not uh, uh, success. It's, it's family, you know, being with your family. And being able to enjoy, you know, the uh, the moments you have with them. Yeah, that money's great and all that, and the lifestyle. But uh, <laughs> like, like he 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 came to find out, you have to sacrifice other stuff, you know. And uh, is is it worth well, it? Uh, well, yeah, well, it's interesting because you know, you all, people ask themselves, "Well, can I be a gangster?" And I, I'll never be a gangster, <laughs> you know, because. Uh, you, you know, I've written so much about it. I could see what what the outcome would be, right? You know, no matter how smart I thought I was, or how how clever I thought I was in in in, in disguising myself from uh, from law enforcement, you know, eventually something bad would happen, and uh, you know, I'd end up in in prison. So yeah, I, I've never <laughs> I've never had the desire to you know to to consider anything criminal. With uh, uh, Jesus now. Uh are you going to, or has he been on Crime Beat yet with you, or are you, you plan to do like a joint show or anything? Yeah, we're going to do, uh, do a show uh, June seventeenth. Um, he's going to. Uh, we'll do a show, and um, Scott, the um, the managing producer of my show, will will do the interview uh, with us. But we'll be on together and uh, and do that. He's been on on um, uh, a couple of shows, and he's available. You know, to do uh, to do interviews. And uh, uh, he's very he's very happy with the way, way the, the book has gone. And uh, his daughter, I know she she wrote me a nice little note saying that she's really happy with uh, with everything uh, with this. So, and I think it's going to get better. Like I said, with the uh, film potential. Well, Ron, when, when Jesus was arrested and, and in prison, what happened to all of the other 20,000 people he had working for his organization, and what's he doing today? They they just went to work for somebody else. I mean, you know, uh, the drug trade doesn't stop. <laughs> That's the, uh, the sort of uh, irony of the war on drugs. You know, the war never ends, and... Uh, and, uh, you know, I mentioned that uh, the price of cocaine jumped 50% because of, uh, of uh, Jesus being out of it, and uh, there would be shortages and all that. But, you know, it, it picked up. Somebody fills it in, and uh, somebody steps up and uh, fills the spot. Look at uh, Escobar, how big he was, and uh, he's been replaced. And uh, the drug trade is still operating efficiently. So... Um, um, you know, it's it's um, doesn't really um, it, it doesn't really matter on that. What was the second part of your question? 
what's he doing today? Is he oh, what's he doing living today? life? Uh, he's living he's living a very quiet life. Um, uh, he um, uh, not many people in Colombia know who he is. <laughs> you know they're 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 going to know you know because of the book and all that. But uh, he's not well known in uh, in Colombia at all because you know he operated mainly in the United Kingdom, and he he hasn't he didn't make a lot of enemies. You know he didn't kill uh, anybody. And he didn't screw anybody, so he doesn't have enemies out there that he has to worry about. So he's living a very quiet life. He's thinking about getting into a business. Um, and uh, his his uh, wife uh, uh, lives in in um, in, um, in London, and she's she came and visited him with, with, with his children, and they had a very good time. And the children went back because they had to go to school. They had to work, but his wife stayed behind. And uh, she's with him now, and uh, uh, I don't know how long she's going to stay with, stay there. Uh, she may stay permanently, but uh, uh, he's living a very, you know, happy. He's very happy, and uh, he's he's he says he loves being able to wake up in his own bed, you know, and uh, and getting out and uh, out of bed and and doing what he wanted to do, wants to do, rather than being told what to do, like prison, right? on that sort of stuff. So um, and I think he learned his lesson. Uh, I don't think he'll ever get involved with uh, anything criminal again. Does does he feel safe now? I mean, is, is, does he have to be cautious? Do you, does he think there are people out to get him today, or is he fairly well, comfortable? Well, I respect, I respect his, his thoughts on that, and uh, we did a, uh, a video. I had, him, I had him do a video. I said, you know, t- you know talk about... Uh, the book and for Wild Blue and, and uh, he did it and uh, uh, he was disguised. He disguised himself. You know, he wore uh, glasses, a mask, a, a baseball cap, and you couldn't tell that was him. And he said, uh, I, "I just don't feel comfortable showing my face yet." You know, and uh, we we don't know who's out there. And uh, so I said, "Yeah, that's fine." I said, uh, "You know, I respect that." And um, so. You know, he's still very cautious uh, about um, um, people that uh, that, that uh, find out about you know who he is and and uh, uh, what he did, because you never know. You know, there could be somebody out there that uh, may have a grudge against you, and you don't know anything about him. And uh, Colombia is a very violent place. Uh, you know, it's uh, uh, much more violent than. Um, than the United States, which is known for its its its, uh, its violence, and uh, so uh, he's he's being very cautious. Well, you have to be, and I, I remember Ron back when I used to ask Frank Collada, you know, oh, that, yeah. uh, what, what what how he felt about his personal safety and all that, and uh, he always said he said that uh, not only was people he may have been associated with at one point who by the time I met Frank most of those people were dead or in prison but yeah, he yeah. was he said there's always the up and comer that wants to put a notch on his belt and if he could knock off exactly a kingpin you know or whatever uh, it would enhance his resume so uh, in addition to people who may have had a grudge you could just have somebody who wants to make a name for themselves i suppose yeah. that wants to bump you off exactly uh, exactly and you may you never know uh, you know what kind of grievance may be out there, no matter how small, and who holds it against you. 
you know, uh, because uh, he, he operated with a lot of people. And uh, there could be somebody out there that, uh, you know, maybe felt he was wronged or something like that, and somebody could pick up their cause, you know, a brother, uh, a father, or a son. Yeah, caution is the name of the game. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I've never had to live that, but I've talked to yeah. people that have, and it's uh, yeah. you got to be on your toes at all times and cognizant of your surroundings and all. And, you know, you got to be alert. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. Uh, yeah. I, I was going to ask you, Rania, Delilah mentioned, uh, you know, about what happened to some of the people uh, who used to work for Jesus after he was uh, went to prison. And uh, you said, well, they just went to work for somebody else. You know, the drug trade doesn't stop. And it, I got thinking that in, in generally speaking, not, not just about uh, the drug trade, but crime in general, uh, if there's enough money to be made, whether it's illegal gambling, whether it's drugs, uh, adult entertainment, you know, whatever it is, if there's enough money to be had, somebody's always going to fill the void, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's always going to be somebody out there looking to get into it and, and make, uh, you know, make some money. So, and I don't, I don't have an answer as to how you, you stop that. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> you, you know, money, money attracts people and, and that lifestyle and stuff. And uh, it's really, I don't know, do you have any thoughts? Is there a way to stop this or is it just, it's just no, the way it I is? Think, yeah, that's crime. I mean, you know, as long as you have people, you'll always have crime. You know, somebody will be trying to get away with something. And uh, 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 you, you really can't do anything about it. And uh, that's especially true of the war on drugs. I mean, um, uh, I, I really think that the, the way they're fighting the war on drugs is, uh, and I hate that term, war on drugs, because it's a social problem. It's not a war. You know, you don't have winners or losers um, uh, in, in the drug trafficking uh, business, and um, but uh, uh, I think that um, that, uh, that you can't really do can't really do anything about it. I mean, it's 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 going to be around. I mean, as long as you've had uh, humankind, you've had crime, right? Someone's uh, committing something illegal. Yes, and it's um, back to the drug issue for a minute um i watch one of these uh programs called night watch i don't know if you've ever seen it it's about an ambulance yeah, crew uh, I've, seen, uh, I've seen a couple episodes it's pretty good yeah and it, uh, most of it takes place in new orleans but all, it seems like the vast majority of the calls they respond to the emts respond to their paramedics are calls dealing with drugs direct such as an overdose for example overdoses uh, or shootings and beatings and that type of thing and robberies which are drug related uh yeah. you know the turf turf battles and stuff about uh, who's going to be dealing and where they're going to be dealing and and the uh the amount of uh of problems that uh the drugs uh, and drug use uh, lead to, you know, the direct ODs yeah. and and then the the side effects of the turf wars and the uh, and the violence there. 
it's just incredible uh, to me the the number or percentage of the cases that are on this program that somehow involve drugs. Yeah, I, I'm always fascinated by it because, um, you know, outside of uh, a little marijuana, which I took, you know, when I was, when I was my uh, my young days and all that sort of stuff, I've never been into into drugs. I mean, I've never really uh, wanted to try and all that. And uh, I'm just I'm just really fascinated why people would resort to that lifestyle. I mean, because it, it usually ends in uh, in tragedy um, or in sadness in some way on that sort of stuff. But uh, um, uh, but people need that, you know. Um, they need that sort of uh, boost, and uh, and uh, you always have somebody that's willing to supply it too, and uh, make it pretty plentiful. Um, so that it is available, and uh, I don't—I you know, have an answer to that, but I—I uh, I think that uh, you know, as long as you have, as long as we're around, as long as we're around, we're going to have that problem. It's funny. I'm writing, uh, working on a, a manuscript now with, with a with a guy, and he said that uh, he was. Uh, known as a drug dealer that was his uh, re- reputation and uh, he said he never took drugs himself he said i never used never had any desire to use but the money was there you know he said there was that's a demand that, that's interesting because because jesus never used drugs either you know he, he said he tried cocaine once and didn't like it <laughs> you know yeah, that's his product and uh but he you know he never you know he, he treated it as a business it was just a product you know and um uh, uh, he operated that way, and uh, and uh, never 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 used drugs, never got hooked. Uh, Ike Atkinson, who is my subject of my Sergeant Smack book, who's the, you know the biggest U.S. dealer ever to operate out of Asia, and uh, in heroin, and he never he never used drugs either, uh, that sort of stuff. So um, the ones that uh, are successful with this don't get caught up with their own product. Yeah, and the, the, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you that, that the more success, most successful ones are the ones that uh, you know keep their hand out of the till, if you will. I mean, as far as yeah, uh, exactly. dabbling in the inventory. Yeah, but but that's you know I think they're the exceptions because a lot a lot of them are, are get get caught up with uh, especially cocaine, and that usually leads to uh, thinking that's not too bright. You know, uh, I'd like to, uh, before we run out of time, just to talk a little bit about this drug situation. And I, I don't know, you hear different people with ideas or what they think are solutions, uh, or at least to ease the drug crisis, if you want to refer to it as a crisis. Okay. Uh, uh, legalizing or decriminalizing, for example. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that with your knowledge of the drug trade and so forth? What uh, what could be done maybe to help uh, at least alleviate to some degree the... Well, I, I, I'm in favor of uh, decriminalizing. I think that's a, a, a great idea. And I'm, I'm happy the way it's going with, with marijuana, with all these states legalizing it. And, of course, medical marijuana, it's been proven, you know, that, it, that, that marijuana has medicinal qualities and it should be... Uh, uh, legal for uh, for medicinal uses on that sort of stuff, 
and um, uh, I believe that uh, that uh, the, the, the so-called battle against drugs uh, should be uh, emphasized on the uh, demand side, because as long as you have demand, you're going to have supply. And uh, unfortunately, now most of the resources are put on the supply side. You know the uh, anti-drug efforts, and I think more more of that should be placed on education, should be placed on uh, rehabilitation. You know of um, and uh, uh, publicity about uh, about drugs uh, and their their harmful effects. And uh, I don't think we could we could lose with that uh, approach because. We're definitely not winning it with this this uh, um, approach that we're using now. Uh, if if uh, if we were winning the uh, so-called war on drugs, uh, the, the, you know the price of cocaine would be uh, sky high, uh, and heroin would be sky high, and marijuana and all that. But uh, you know the price of, uh, of those drugs uh, are still high, are, are still relatively at a level where. You know they can be uh, easily purchased on that, but uh, I think the uh, the whole approach to uh, to uh, fighting drugs should be uh, should be uh, uh, shifted towards the supply toward the the demand side of the uh, of the equation. Well, I hope I hope we have people in the position to do something, to take some action, are listening, you know, and and yeah. thinking about things other than just arresting you know i mean that that's yeah. arresting the uh, the people uh, and address the uh, underlying issues yeah, exactly. uh, ron before we run out of time here uh, tell us one more time where people can purchase uh, your book yeah right the book is um available um and amazon is being shipped to all the all the bookstores you can go to barnes and over or amazon and um and purchase it there's a kindle book uh which you can buy and um uh, the audio book is going to be out um, pretty soon, I guess. Uh, they're getting um, a narrator uh, for the book right now, and uh, uh, it should should be easy to get. And I know a lot of my my friends have bought the book and have gotten it pretty quickly. Well, again, Ron, before we uh, before we shut down here, uh, congratulations. Uh, it. it, uh, it I've, I've, uh, it's an excellent book, an excellent story, and I highly recommend it. And congratulations on the other things that are, uh, you know, in progress for you and okay. for the book. And I want to thank you so much for being with us today and sharing uh, what I find to be a fantastic story. And thanks to our audience for listening. Until next time, stay healthy and stay safe. Uh-huh.